If you will, bow your heads with me. Dear God, we come to you now, and we ask that you uh, speak directly to us, to our hearts, our minds, our souls, dear Lord, and just allow us to hear your word, allow us to hear the message that is prepared for us, and then give us the ability as you live through us to go out and live it and be the hands and feet of you in this world, and we can become people of impact, and we give it all in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Real quick before... um, I get too deep into it. I can't see where he is, but uh, have a little bit of a special guest with us today. Um, help me welcome Private First Class Isaac Burtis. Right there, he is. Stand up, bud. We're we're proud of him, and uh, continue to pray for not only him but all of our military people in service and everybody that gives of their time to go out and protect us and to make things right. So um, we're thankful that he's gotten this far and uh, continue to pray for his success and safety. Okay. Um, Today, I'm going to talk a little bit, not only to the graduates, but also to us adults, because I think sometimes we, uh, we become confused. And we have talked about this, that Over years, sometimes our definitions of things, our understanding of things, and our personal definition, and and here's what I really want you to to think about this morning, is because uh, we have ideals, right? And those are are what we think are the perfect, what what should happen in a perfect world. If all things are are even, all things are, are correct and perfect, then this should happen, and this is what, you know, what our belief should be, this is what we should do. So it should be a, you know, the, the highest of all achievement, the highest of all understanding. And so sometimes what we end up doing is we develop these ideals and we develop them because of our, you know, what we're taught, what we're told, what we're told is correct, what we're told is doctrine and religion, what we're told is moralistic and all that. And we come away and we develop these ideals, all right? But then we have actions. And uh, actions, you know, are how we live and what happens and how we react to things and what. So there's ideals and then there's actual reality. And what we try to do here is to present the ideals and present ways that help us achieve that through Jesus Christ living through us and through the gospel teachings and how we can get closer, how our reality can get closer to the ideals that we preach here. And I think sometimes what happens is we allow the world to, as the world changes, anybody, anybody recognize the world changes a lot? I mean, it, the opinion changes every three minutes. The news cycle is, it, you know, it used to be a day. I don't think it's a day anymore. It's just, you know, the latest story is just as hot until there's a new one, all right? And that's kind of like built into our personalities now, you know, and uh, we have and I don't want to get too deep into it, but we are a throwaway society. I mean, we throw, I, 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 Arianne gets mad at me because I reach for paper plates, and she's like, babe, we have plates. And I'd be like, well, why use it? You know, I have to, you have to wash it. <laughs> so I just throw mine away. But anyways, I mean, we, we are, we're dispo- everything's disposable, and then, you know, it's, it's quick. Everything's made quickly, and, and, you know, pump, pay at the pump, all that stuff. ATM, everybody goes into a bank, everything. So we, we've kind of moved into this thing to where um, we 
They expect things to happen quickly. We expect them to happen correctly. And um, we have these high ideals. And sometimes what the world teaches us and, and what the world presents to us, it leaks into our DNA. And what happens is after a gradual amount of time, we have changed. And what we don't do sometimes is slow down long enough and self-reflect on am I actually, is my reality reflecting what I believe are the ideals of what I think life should be? And how big is that gap? And is it growing or am I getting closer? Am I maturing in my spirit? Or what's happening here? Am I falling off? So these are the questions that you need to ask yourself. And if you're not careful, a lot of the definitions, a lot of the things that we believe in can change over time because of the world and what it presents to us. And today I want to talk to you about a subject that has, that has happened to. And, you know, if you're not careful, you can buy into this. And um, we spend a lot of time, a lot of time in this country talking about success. And everything that we do pretty much in this country is geared toward success, all right? You know, we always want everything to go up. If it comes down, somebody's to blame. There's got to be a scapegoat. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be somebody behind it. Somebody, you know, it's their fault, all right? And then, um, you know, if, 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 if you're not winning, then you got to change at the top, and, or you got to make a change, or, or everything is all about succeeding. And what the world has taught us and what the world has tried to change us, and if we have allowed it, the, definition, the world's definition of success is you should be a powerful person with a lot of money, a lot of assets, okay? You should have the ability to sway people, and you should have you know, enough collections of stuff to show that you are successful, right? And that is what we kind of glamorize in this world, what we glamorize in this country. That's the people that we spend time looking at. If you ask people who they, you know, if you ask kids who they would like to become, they generally, they generally say someone very successful in whatever they're interested in, because that's kind of what we push people towards, all right? So if you're not careful, and for you graduates that are entering into you know, college or into the workforce or whatever it is you're doing, and then us adults that are entering the workforce tomorrow morning, okay, or maybe tonight or whatever your, your um, schedule is, you know, we, have to, we have to have a biblical understanding of what the definition of success is. Because this is an underlying ideal that things are building off of. And this, if we have a misunderstanding of what success is, sometimes that can drive us into a different situation and into different actions that don't reflect what we truly believe, what are doctrinal here, what we believe the Bible says. So the Bible presents a very clear definition of what success is. It's not what, I'm just going to go ahead and, spoiler alert, it's not what the world defines success as. And I think if we can come away with just a little bit of a better understanding about what true success is, then instead of chasing happiness, instead of pursuing happiness and pursuing success, then we end up entering into the reason why we're here 
and we enter into our mission. We enter into our service. And then we begin to truly live for the moment and live for why we're here and live for the proper reasons instead of living for some kind of maybe unattainable thing that we have built up in our head that said, I need to get to this point. And I say this all the time. I'm preaching to myself this morning just as much as I'm preaching to you. And Ariane will tell you, sometimes around birthdays and stuff, I get depressed because I start, what have I ever done? Have I ever achieved anything? And she's like, oh, my gosh. You know, get over yourself. Let's go. Blow out your candles, you know. Make your wish. Okay, so let's look at what the definition of success is. And one thing, when you look back through the Old Testament and you see these guys, you know, like when Moses passed off to to, um, Joshua, and then we see... Here, King David, who had had a very successful reign and, uh, you know, had had some up and downs, someone who had uh, expanded his borders, someone who had uh, built up riches, someone who had drawn up plans for the temple, to build the temple, and, uh, you know, had a lot of military success, someone who was at the pinnacle of life, and he was the modern example of success in his day. All right, And as he becomes ill, and as he understands that his days are numbered, he puts a plan in, and he anoints Solomon as you know, the next king, and he puts that plan into motion to make sure that Solomon is you know, his heir apparent. And what we, you know, there, there is that story about what he does. Okay? But the thing that I want to concentrate on this morning is the conversation that he has with Solomon and the advice that he gives Solomon as someone who has been through it and someone who has been through the trials and tribulations, has had success, has had failures. Here is the advice of someone who is sitting in the chair that Solomon is getting ready to set into and take over. And one point here, okay, and you mature people are going to like this, But we have started to drift away from taking the advice of our elders, okay? And that is unbiblical. And if you look at any of the letters on Paul on how to build a church, how to make a church the right kind of way, you will see that that is built on the teaching of those who are more mature, whether that be spiritually or even physically or age-wise, of those who have been through it. And what is happening now is because of the, and and I blame everything on technology. That's how old I am, okay? I blame everything on technology because what happens now is that our kids, I'm going to talk to you just negatively for a second. Kids kind of look to us and, you know, I have, you know, last night I was walking around at prom, you know, being a, um, what's it, chaperone, okay? And uh, my phone was in my pocket and somehow I had turned my spotlight on. So it was shining through my, and I could tell kids were like looking at me, like kind of making fun of me. And I was kind of like, something's going on here. You know, like, I'm about to bust somebody on something. And then I came over and Arianne's like, hey, goofball, your spotlight's on. I was like, oh. okay. So, I mean, but here's my point is, you know, for those of us who, who, can't work an app and sometimes have trouble with our phones and all that stuff. Sometimes you kids look at us that say, you know, hey, he can't work computers. He doesn't know how to do this and that. You know, 
I don't need anything from that person. They're no good to me or anything like that, all right? But I'll tell you this. Some of the best advice I ever got and some of the life examples I ever got was from a guy who didn't get to go to the sixth grade, okay? And his hands were weathered and torn up and crooked, and uh, he had cut a finger off and his, couldn't go to the doctor, and his mom sewed it on, put it on a little bit crooked so it didn't bend so good. And, you know, grease... I mean, I get around grease and diesel, and it's like Cecil Phelps is in the room with me. I smell him, and he's like in the room with me. But, you know, hard work, guy who earned it, came from nothing, you know. And I think about him and my grandma and how happy they were. And you say they lived in a little four-room house. Never had more than one car at a time. And, I mean, just shared a car. So, I mean, don't look at those above you know, that are more mature than you. And just because they can't accomplish the things that you're seeking out to do, don't think that they don't have anything to add to your life. Because I'm here to tell you, the Bible teaches that those who are more mature are responsible for teaching those who are less mature. But in order for that to happen, those who are less mature have to be willing to learn from the experience and the example of those who are more mature. Amen? So it says, now here is the advice given. And he says, now David knew that his, his days uh, were, were near and that he was going to die. And he came, and I like the words here that is used. This is the New King James Version. And he says the word charged. Okay, this is kind of like what we do at a, uh, when, when someone is becoming ordained, is we give them a charge. And then there's also the charge in a wedding ceremony. And basically is, there's the understanding, there's the giving of, you know, this is the mission. This is what you're going to do. So the charge in the wedding is, you know, do you take this person to be your husband? Do you take this person to be your wife? So we're here for a purpose, and the purpose is to get married. When you leave here, you're going to have a spouse. You're going to have a wife, and you're going to have a husband. So this is the purpose, and this is what's being laid out, is he's saying, you know, I'm bringing you in, not just, the, you know, to blow air out of my mouth, and, and to go through a ceremony here, but I'm, this is an intimate time here. And he says, this is the charge. This is the reason why you're here. And this is what you're going to walk away with. And this is the charge that he gave his son Solomon. All right? And it says here that he said, I go the way of the earth, which means that he's going to pass away. He's going to die. All men are appointed to die once. And it says there that here is the advice not to go out and continue to acquire land, not to go out and continue to acquire assets, not to continue to, you know, keep building up the political power that we have going on here. But he says that you should be strong. Now, don't mishear this, okay? Because this is not just a physical, he's not just talking about being strong in a physical kind of way, because I think sometimes what we do is we concentrate so much on the physical attributes of strength that we actually miss what true strength is in this world. And true strength is the ability for a man to be a man and to do the things that he's supposed to do and not resort to the physical tactics, not to resort to the retribution, not to resort to you know, persecution and oppression, not to resort to physical violence or any kind of threatening manner or anything kind of a way like that, but is to be a man and be able to handle himself as a man and to do it in an honorable way with respect and with love so that people continue, all people continue to be 
moved by his example and by his authority that is being given to him by God. All right. So this is not just a physical strength that he's talking about. He's talking more about an emotional, uh, spiritual kind of strength. And he says, therefore, you're going to have to prove yourself as a man. And I'm talking to the youth here, too, now, all right, because this is, and don't just take the, the gender here, but you're going to have to prove yourself. And this is a world where you might, some of us might have gotten doors open for us, but at some point, you're going to have to prove yourself. And here's the thing, is that if you take advantage, and I have, I'm just going to you know, confession is good for the soul. I have wasted a lot of opportunities in this life. I have wasted a lot of doors that have been opened for me, okay? But if you are someone who has help and has been given an opportunity in any kind of way and somebody has opened the door for you, someone has given you a scholarship, someone has granted you some kind of pathway to your future, then you owe it because of the doctrine of Jesus Christ in that he gets all of our glory because he is our savior. He died for us. It's built, and that should be reflected in our life and our living, that when someone gives us an opportunity, gives us a break, opens a door for us, we take it the same way Jesus, that we take Jesus Christ's sacrifice and say, I owe it to you to be honorable and respectful in a way that I will do my best and my most honest work here so that I can take advantage of the help that you're giving me. Amen? Okay, so you're going to have to prove yourself, all right? And, you know, everybody falls down. Everybody makes mistakes. And here's the other thing on that, is sometimes you prove yourself more after the mistake and how you handle it and how you pick yourself up and move on than if you had never made the mistake, okay? And it says, and to keep the charge of the Lord your God, Here's what you need to do, okay, to walk in his ways. The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay, now you say, well, what's that mean? To obey someone is to, and do it in a biblical way, is to submit yourself. All right? And it may be someone who you are smarter than, and, you know, you may have to submit yourself to a boss that you don't think... Deserves the job, all right? I remember one time I was reading stuff about how to do a job interview and everything. I went to a job interview, and the guy asked me a question. They said, be, you know, be very forceful. This article I read, be very forceful, be very aggressive, you know, have, a, you know, have like a future ahead of you, like you really want to go out and get it. And the first question the guy says, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, in your job. I didn't get it. I can't figure out why. <laughs> all right? So... But here's the thing, is that obedience is better than sacrifice because sometimes you have to submit yourself. And this is what it's built on, is that we are asked to submit to each other in a family and to each other here. We're asked to submit to the authorities. We're asked to submit to God, all right? But we're not asked to do it because we're not worthy. We're not good. My wife's smarter and prettier than me. Why would she submit to me? The Bible asks her to. When she does that, I lift her up. And make her, you know, proclaim that she's the gem that God has given me. And then we keep submitting to each other and on and on. And the family serves each other. And we get healthy and we continue to move forward. Okay, that's what the Bible is built on. All right. So, but here is the thing is that sometimes, or mo all times, obedience is nothing about us. It's about submitting to somebody else. 
And what we do in sacrifice is sometimes we sacrifice ourselves and we do a self-sacrifice that isn't biblical. And we sacrifice and we were like talking to ourselves, anybody ever do this or am I the only one? Like when you're sacrificing, you're like, whoa, look at me out here sacrificing. Oh, man, you ever seen anybody sacrifice as much as me? Boy, I'm a sacrificer and I hope everybody's seeing me sacrifice here. Who's that, who's that all about? Me. Who's not getting any glory? Anyone but me, right? And if God's supposed to get our glory, then how can we live like that and continue to think that God's going to get the glory? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Keep his statutes, keep his commandments, keep his judgment, his testimonies as it is written in the law. This is what I call the doctrine of success. This is handed down from a very successful guy who had seen the highest and the lows. You read about the lows in David's life? Oh, my gosh. Lost a child, you know, murder. Uh, just. But it was how he came back. It was how he continued to obey, even in the down times, even in the times when we judge him so hard, okay? This is the advice that he gives his son. This is the reason why. Because it says that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, here's where we get to the rub. What does it mean to prosper? What is success? Because if you look at the end of Solomon's days, he did expand the boundaries. You know, he did build a temple. He did do all the stuff he was, you know. But it was the way sometimes in what he did it. You know, he was someone who at one point looked morally bankrupt. I mean, it, it was like as if he had never been, you know, touched by the Spirit. He was just someone who struggled with that. And, and we see those in, that in his writing. And at the end of the days, he is looking back now after all of his living, and he's thinking about the advice that his father gave him. And this is what he says, okay? And this is how he sums it up. He says, my son, do not forget my law. All right? And then we see how he has taken what his father had given him and how he has internalized this, how he has personalized it. And now we see more of the obedience and the sacrificing in the right kind of way. And now we see that and we start to see it develop into modern Christianity and the way that Jesus Christ spoke about obedience and spoke about sacrifice. And it says, my son, do not forget my law, but here's the key. Let your heart keep my commandments. Okay? And if you're honest with yourself, your heart will lead you to the place you are currently. Your heart takes you there. If you want to know where your heart is, just check out your checkbook. Okay? Look where you spend your money. Look where you spend your time. That will give you a true telling of where your heart is. And a lot of times we think we have our heart in a different place, but the, reality, the ideal, but the reality doesn't suggest that. Okay? So what it's saying here is that you have to be changed and you have to be driven by what's going on in your spirit, not just the outside. Okay? The outside may look successful, but the inside may actually be bankrupt. Okay? Anybody remember Enron? 
Huh? They were, remember, remember what they called themselves? Smartest guys in the room. You know what they were? The crooked E. Remember that? Every one of them in there was, they were broke and, and trying to pass it off and making up numbers and stuff. But on the outside, they looked successful. But they were morally bankrupt on the inside. And sometimes if we're not careful, we get so consumed and so concerned about what the outside looks like. And we do it at the expense of the health on the inside. And sometimes, you know, you ever, you ever like try to clean a room up or, or move something around? 20 minutes after you do it, what's the room look like? It looks worse than it did when you started, right? Because you're pulling all the stuff out and you got to expose all that stuff. Sometimes it gets uglier before it gets better. And in order to truly do some things, sometimes you got to quit worrying about what's going on on the outside and start worrying about the spiritual health, start worrying about what's going on on the inside. All right? And it says that it will add days of long life and peace. I mean, anybody need some peace in this world? And it's the peace that Jesus Christ gives, not the peace that the world gives, right? That's what Jesus Christ says. I give you peace, but I give you peace that I give you, not like the world, because he overcame and defeated the world. Amen? And it says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Okay? Build your life on mercy and truth. That's what that's saying. And do it so that you bind them around your neck. Does that bring up any kind of literary connotation there? You're going to take mercy and truth and you're going to bind them around your neck. My yoke is easy, and my yoke is light. Who's he reflecting about here? Jesus Christ. If you are going to be successful in this life, you have to take on the yoke of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we have to do it in a submissive way. Because once you put the yoke on, then you're truly, physically, literally, emotionally, spiritually saying that I am now at one with Jesus Christ. His movements are my movements. I go where he goes. Write them on a tablet of your heart, not on a tablet of stone, and so find favor, high esteem in the sight of God and man. That's the reflection of Solomon, of the advice that David had given him. So now let's look at the What's this look like in application? And who would know anything better about success than Jesus Christ? And this is what he says. Okay? And I know you probably get tired of seeing these scriptures. But it says that these, this is the, the greatest of all the commandments. The first is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So what's that saying? What is that suggesting? Who should be at the center of your life? What should be the most important thing in your life? The drive for success? Or should it be centered on Jesus Christ? It should be centered on Jesus Christ. He should be at the center of everything. That is the greatest of all the commandments. And then if we get that commandment right then the application of that commandment then leads us to the application of the other commandment to where we can love our neighbor as ourself. Okay? And we talked last week about doing it with honor and respect. 
So the application of what the advice that we saw in the Old Testament and what Jesus Christ brings it through and puts it into an applicable form for us, it basically boils down to we should devote ourselves to Jesus Christ and then, and then the proof of that should be in our living to where we're capable of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So if you want to know how spiritually healthy your relationship with Jesus Christ is, look at how you treat people and how much you love them and pray for them and serve people because that is the proof of your devotion to God. That's not Aaron Phelps. That's the Bible telling you that. That if you love God in the proper kind of way, then you're living will be the result and evidence of that. And what can happen is we fall into this lie, into these traps of what's going on. Okay? And Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds. You know, they don't store up anything. They don't grow anything. They don't sow. They don't reap. But yet they eat. And God takes care of them. And how much more... Does he love us than the birds? So here's, here is the trap that we fall into. And the trap that we fall into is that we get so consumed with, you know, the, all the physical aspects of success and all the, the um, earthly aspects of success, and we fall into this thing to where we actually lose the true definition of what success is. And the true definition of what success is that are you capable of accepting what Jesus Christ wants you to do with your life? Are you capable of accepting the cross that Jesus Christ has, has laid down for you to pick up? Now, if you're getting ready to go into college and all that stuff, and you say, well, I was thinking about being an attorney or, or something like that, so you know, I guess i got to become a preacher or something. Is that a missionary? Is that what you're saying? And here's what I'm saying. We're all given talents, and we're all put in different kind of avenues and all put into different kinds of ways of this life to make a living and to make an impact. But here's God calls teachers to be teachers. He wants them to do it in a way that children will come to know Jesus Christ in the way that teachers teach. Some people are called to be store clerks. And in the way that they treat their employees, the way they treat their vendors, the way they treat their customers, people come to experience Jesus Christ through the store clerk. All right? Think about Lazarus. What was Lazarus' point of his life? One of the best friends of Jesus Christ. The point of Lazarus' life was to die. That was his greatest accomplishment, was that he died and that Jesus Christ, he made himself available for Jesus Christ to bring him back. Okay? Have you ever heard a little boy or a little girl say, you know, you ask them, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, the president, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to die. But that's what was put in front of Lazarus. So whatever is placed in front of you is important. And it's important that you accept that, but you accept it in the right kind of way. Because what you can do is, if you, know, if you say, why do you want to become a doctor? Why do you want to become you know, 
this or a businessman or that. And if the reason is so that I can go out and buy a bunch of stuff and ride around on a bunch of stuff and acquire a bunch of stuff and have a, you know, a bunch of pot of money, then I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you that you're not going to ever feel happy with your success because it's all false. And the only way that you ever feel happy, and the only way that you can ever feel contentment is through the happiness and the contentment and peace that Jesus Christ brings to you. And the way that you feel that is by submitting yourself to his will, living according to the way that he calls you to do, and make an impact for him. Now, you may make a bunch of money doing that. You may, you know, may not. It's all according to how you live and how you serve. And that is the definition of success in your life. And too many times we have people who walk around and have their head down and think, I'm not successful. But yet they devote their lives to their families and to their kids. They work hard. They may not be in a field that makes much money, but they go out and they work hard and they provide and they do all that they can. But the world keeps telling them you're not successful because you haven't reached these standards. And what Jesus is telling you is those standards don't matter. All that matters is, are you willing to do what I'm asking you to do in the way I'm asking you to do it? And if the answer is yes, then you will find success in this life. But here's the successful warning. Okay? Don't allow the world to define for you what success and what profit is. The Bible tells us that profit is the, the fruits of the Spirit. So if people get around you and they feel loved... You know, they get grace and mercy and forgiveness and you're able to, to live and, and to, you know, Jesus Christ come through in that kind of way, then that is, a, that is evidence of a successful life. But too many times what we do, it was, we as Christians let the world define for us what we're going to live and what we're going to go out and do. And I'm just going to tell you, we need to turn that around. It's time for Christians in the right kind of way to go out in a genuine and preach genuine Christianity and preach it in a way that can totally revolutionize this world with a revolution of love, with a revolution of forgiveness, a revolution of service, okay? But we as Christians need to genuinely impact the world and define for them, the rest of the world, what profit and what success is, instead of the world telling us what profit and success is. We've allowed them to define things for us too many times now, and it's seeped into what we do here, all right? And if we're not, and if we're, if we're not careful, it can seep into how we operate here, because we're applying profit, we're applying success, and that, according to the world standards, on what we do in here. And if you're in, tighten that up, same thing can happen inside of your family. So, ask yourself, what are the ideals that I know the Bible teaches? And then take a hard look at your life and ask yourself, where, am, where is my reality? And see what the gap is there. Because if it's broad, then you need, like the song says, you need to have a little talk with Jesus. You need to get to know him better. Okay, and you need to 
submit to him more and to his will. And you need to make him more of the center of your life. And we all need to take steps like that. But for our graduates and those who are in the workforce and even for us adults, it's time that we start applying true biblical definitions in our lives so that we can impact the world instead of the world impacting us. Okay? Make sense? So here's the secret. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding or anybody else's understanding in this world. The Bible says that if you need wisdom, if you need knowledge, go to him and ask for it, and he will give it to you exceedingly. And in all ways, acknowledge him. Who gets the credit for all the success in our lives? Jesus Christ. All right? And he will direct your paths. So if you're here worried today about where your next step is, what the next phase in your life is, if you're in a changing season, if you're adjusting to something, here is the advice that Jesus Christ will lead you in all of your paths. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Dave sang that song earlier. It's funny he sang that. I've been singing it all week. I'd rather have Jesus than silver gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by those nailed, scarred hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. See, I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be led by his holy name. Sing it with me. Then to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. We come to the altar for a lot of reasons. I'm going to open up the altar and let David have it, let a real singer sing, okay? But we come to the altar for a lot of reasons. It's time we start impacting the world instead of the world impacting us. And we got to do it because of 
the things that we believe in here are true and they're right. If, now listen to me. If we believe they're right, then why are we not out preaching it in our living? Preaching it in how we work with people. Doing it in our reality. If we really believe it's true, let's let it become our reality. Okay? Let's pick up the cross that Christ has put for us. Thank you for tuning in to Star Church's sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information about Star Church, visit our website at stargbchurch.com. Once again, that's stargbchurch.com. If you would like to visit our church, our address is 4925 State Road 142 North, El Dorado, Illinois 62930. We now pray that God will bless you as you enter the mission field and bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Star Church.